Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Mighty Littles Podcast. I'm really excited to have Bailey Toman. Her daughter Chandler was born as a tiny baby in the NICU, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her experience and talk about what parenting in the NICU was like for her. Welcome to the podcast. Introduce <laughs> yourself to our listeners. Yep, my name is Bailey. My daughter Chandler was born in June of 2019 down in Denver. She was one pound, two and a half ounces or 530 grams and 11.25 inches long. Uh, She stayed 85 days in the NICU. 70 of those were in the level four NICU and then about two weeks in the step down unit, but we're home now and doing well. So tell me a little bit about your pregnancy and how things went with your pregnancy. And when did you know you were going to end up with a a NICU stay for you and your baby? My pregnancy was pretty uneventful for the, well, until she was born. We had all of our regular appointments. I had a lot of anxiety our whole or my whole pregnancy with her. I had a previous miscarriage at like five weeks. And so the whole time I was worried about that. And then, so we had a couple different ultrasounds just to. Yeah. M- maternal peace of anxiety, mind. I guess. Yeah. And yes. that's, that's super common. Um, I think more people have miscarriages than you know, in the world. We certainly had several, my husband and I, and it does create quite a bit of anxiety in that first trimester. You just need a little bit more reassurance to know that things are going okay and you're not going to be going down that same miscarriage path as you went down the previous time. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that, I'm a nurse. And so I don't deal with babies. I don't deal with pregnancy. None of that. I deal with the opposite end of the spectrum. So I know just enough to get myself into trouble, which (laughs) we'll get into a lot of that later. But So everything was going pretty good. Uh, I went to my 20-week appointment, we found out she's a girl. Everything looked great. She was measuring like three days behind, but she had been pretty much every ultrasound before that. So um, everything looked good. I asked my doctor then um, about preeclampsia because my mom had preeclampsia with me, um, and I was born early because of that. And then my aunt had HELP syndrome, and had twins at 29 weeks. So I was like, I have a pretty significant family history. Is this something I need to be monitoring like a little closer or anything like that? And she's like, no, don't try to doctor yourself. So then we get to the 24 week appointment. And I think I was just a little bit under 24 weeks when I went in there. And that was on a Monday. Um, And so I went in, heard the heartbeat, everything looked good went home. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and I had a lot of swelling in my legs and I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And it wasn't just like puffy. I had like pitting edema pretty bad. So I'm sitting at work with my feet up and I'm like, yeah, this is weird. So I made another appointment for that Friday just to have them look at it because you know, I was anxious and go in Friday and all the swelling's gone. So they're like, oh, it's probably just, you know, pregnancy. It's starting to get warmer out. My blood pressures were fine. I work at a clinic, so I was, you know, testing my urine and (laughs) doing my blood pressure all the time to see what um, symptoms I was having. And everything was fine. So went through that weekend um, with no swelling. And I think that was 
so this would have been the week before Father's Day. So Monday before Father's Day weekend, um, swelling picked back up. And I was like, okay, well, they said it's probably nothing, no big deal. So went through the week with pretty significant swelling. And then I would find that if I put my feet up, I would get swelling in my back. Oh, and gosh. it would just move. Right. Yeah, it would just move. So um, went to Tin Sleep, where my parents live, which is about two hours from where we are, and um, saw my dad for Father's Day. And I just didn't feel good. I was really swollen. Uh, Chandler wasn't moving as much. I never really felt her move a lot anyway, but she wasn't moving as much. So I was like, this is just weird. I checked my blood pressure on my mom's home cuff and it was like 163 over 110 or something like that. 168 over 110. And my mom was like, well, this blood pressure cuff. What did you think when you saw? Yeah, no, I'm just curious as a nurse, what did you think when you saw that? Were you like, eh, I think the blood pressure cuff is wrong or yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That initial denial of no, everything is fine. Everything is fine. Yeah. Well, and my mom had been using this blood pressure cuff before, and she's like, it never really reads quite right. And so I was like, eh, okay. So I let it go, and I checked it again a few hours later or something like that, and it was still about the same. It's like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, it's probably just the cuff. I'll check it again when I get back to work Monday or whatever. Well, I just still didn't feel good, still didn't feel good. We were... So we came home that Sunday, I think that was the 16th, um, and we were getting ready to go to church that night, and I told her, I'm like, she's just not moving as much. And I have a Doppler, not probably not the best plan for anybody to get that, but I had one. Yep. <laughs> and so I listened, and I could hear her heartbeat. I'm like, you know what, let's just go in. So we went into the ER, and I gained... 10 pounds in the last five or six days. Uh, eh, okay. That's a lot. Yep. That's more than I had gained my whole pregnancy and, um, went in there. My blood pressure was okay. Um, they monitored her for a few hours and, um, basically just said, you know, I, I had another doctor's appointment for Monday anyway. So they're like, just keep that appointment. Don't go to work go see your doctor tomorrow, see what he has to say. Okay. So didn't go to work, went to my doctor's appointment the next day. Um, my first blood pressure reading was like 148 over 90 something. And then the doctor came in and checked it and it was 165 over 108. He's like, yeah, okay. I'm a little bit worried about you. We're going to send you back to the hospital and there's probably an 80% chance that you're getting flown out of here today. So for background there, I live six and a half hours from Denver. And so we're like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Kyle and I go over there and they do all the monitoring. By that point, I had protein in my urine. I had elevated liver enzymes and all of that. My blood pressure was still really high. I gained like another five pounds or something like that. And... So they started me on magnesium and I was so swollen, like my arms were swollen, my face was swollen, everything was so swollen and they had to stick me like six times before they could get an IV in. They're like, yeah, we're going to send you out. So Kyle had 15 minutes to run back to our house, which is, you know, further than that away, 
get back and then they're like oh it's delayed so they ended up bringing us down to denver at like two o'clock in the morning they do an ultrasound in chandler and it wasn't quite the reverse flow but it was like slowing down it yeah um stopping at the end yep for <clears throat> listeners that don't know um the placenta should always be sending blood flow to the baby like you know your heart squeezes and then it relaxes and it squeezes and it relaxes so every time the heart squeezes there should be blood flow going to the baby. And every time the heart relaxes, mom's heart, every time mom's heart relaxes, there should still should be flow going to the baby through the placenta. So when you get kind of absent flow, that's when mom's heart is relaxing. There's not forward flow going to the baby. And then reverse flow is the worst scenario where when mom's heart relaxes, there's actually blood flow going back from baby towards placenta. So you're getting reverse flow from baby towards mom. And that just means that the baby's not getting the oxygen and the nutrients and all the stuff that they need in order to grow and thrive. So that's the I'm sure you'll hear it more in this podcast um, because lots of moms have preeclampsia and lots of moms are being monitored for reverse flow or absent flow. So I just wanted to explain that as you were going through your story. Yeah. So they did that ultrasound. And so this goes back to the being a nurse, knowing just enough. When they had her up on the screen, I could see the measurements and she was measuring way behind. So, okay, she's definitely growth restricted. Um, but she's moving around in there. You can see her trying to yawn. She's trying to do all of these things. So we'll just keep an eye on her. Okay, so we go through that day, get off the magnesium, get off all of that. Um, they have me on some blood pressure medicine. And the next day, so that was when we got there, it was early Tuesday morning. So Wednesday, all my labs and everything went back to normal. And so they were like, oh, well, maybe you just have like gestational hypertension. So we will probably monitor you as an outpatient just down here in Denver and um, see if we can get you as close to term as possible. Like, right. cool. That's great. Like, we're fine with that. So we're under that impression for the rest of the day and then we get to that evening and Chandler had a few decelerations um, where her heart rate dropped and for the most part she came back up pretty quick but she didn't have a lot of the accelerations and then she had a couple where she stayed down for quite a while so they did another ultrasound or I guess they had done one ultrasound another ultrasound that day anyway and her the blood flow was actually better and so then they did another ultrasound at like midnight or one in the morning because she had had some more decelerations. And they're like, eh, we're looking at maybe a week, two weeks tops. Right. We're like, okay, that's okay. And Thursday morning I wake up and there's this guy sitting at the end of my bed, Dr. Perico. And he comes and he looks at me and he goes, so it's going to be today or tomorrow. I'm like, what? Who are you? And what, why are you, you telling know? me today or tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we just got told we had a couple of weeks. What are you talking about? And he's like, nope, today or tomorrow. Okay. Okay. So he leaves and sorry, I'm going to back up again That's before okay. that. We did have a consultation with the NICU doctors when we first got there because they're like, you're probably going to have a preemie baby anyway. Right. But hopefully it'll be later than this. Right after Dr. Perico left. It seemed like maybe a half an hour 
or so the anesthesiologist comes in and he's like, hi, I'm so-and-so and and I'm going to be your anesthesiologist for your C-section today. And we're like, wait a minute. He said, maybe tomorrow. And he's like, no, right now. What do you mean right now? And they threw scrubs at Kyle and they're like, we're going now. Now. Okay. So we go in there and... Because somebody um, is watching a monitor out there. Yes. And, and yeah, we wanted to go till term and then we wanted to get two weeks and we wanted to get mm-hmm. two days. But actually, she is telling us now. And so we're going now. Yeah. So we're going now. And so we get in there, get epidural. Luckily, I didn't have to be completely put under or anything. So I was awake for that. And uh, they get in there, get her out. And Dr. Preco goes, whoa, baby, holy cow. Because she was yawning and stretching. He's like, she just crawled out of there. And um, Kyle says, when he was talking to doctors and stuff beforehand, nobody really wanted to give you, like, like you're measuring 21 weeks, but you're 26. The viability or however they want to look at that, nobody wanted to say anything. Right. They're like, we don't, we don't know. We won't know till we see her. But then once they saw her and everything, they were all excited to talk about her and like, she's doing really good. She looks great, blah, blah, blah. They get her already. And I remember I'm wheeling her around the side of the curtain and I could just barely see her in all of her blankets and everything. And yeah, t- and tiny I'm, baby and a giant isolate covered with 20 yes. blankets. And you see like two centimeters of her skin. Yeah, she was there. And then, so Kyle went with them to the NICU. I think there was like eight people in there in the C-section. And I look up at the anesthesiologist and he goes, you want something for anxiety? And I go, that's probably a good idea. And that's the last thing I remember. I mean, we knew when we got to Denver that we were probably going to have a NICU baby, but we didn't know how soon we were going to have a NICU baby or what that really even entailed. Meant. Yeah. It kind yeah. of, so you had this inkling that it was coming, but it still got thrown at you kind of very, very quickly. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. so walk me through most of the time when moms are on mag, you get to hang on, ha- hang out on mag for 24 hours. And it's not until after that first 24 hours that you really can come down and meet your baby. Talk me through that first time that you got to come to the NICU and see Chandler. So actually I got to come that night. They wheeled me down in, um, I think it was in the wheelchair. They, I was steady enough to transfer so the nurse that I had was like you know what we'll just take you we're not we're not gonna make you sit here and not go see her so I got to see her late that night it was like probably midnight or one in the morning she was born at eleven thirty-three on Thursday and then so I saw her late that night okay um and I don't really remember that one because I was still kind of mm-hmm. doped up and, from the yeah. c-section and everything else But then the next day, I remember going, and our nurse, Kathy, who ended up being our primary nurse, was there. And we were in the big room, the quad pod in the back corner. I remember going up there and looking at her and just thinking, how does something that small even live? Like, how is that even possible? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Like, how, how is she going to live? And Kyle was way better at all of that than I ever was. He's in there talking to her and just totally infatuated, happy and excited. And I'm like 
sitting in the corner waving at her like, hey, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> You're tiny and you look like a bird and it's not this big, plump, cute baby that you imagine taking home. It's this little scrawny Barbie with a big head <laughs> looking That's That's baby. a good description. <laughs> She's so little. Her hand was like, her whole hand would fit on Kyle's like pointer fingernail. It was looked like a little sticky hand, and she was just so small. That's all I really remember. I didn't want to touch her. I didn't. I wasn't really scared of her, but I was like, I can't even comprehend this right yeah. now. I mean, I would put my hand in and like touch her, but I didn't want to do any of the cares. I didn't. I didn't want to do any of that for a long time. Kyle jumped right in there and had no problems doing that. He was excited. But I was not. <laughs> so, so as you went through her hospital stay, what eventually got you comfortable with doing more of that parenting in the NICU where you could do her cares and not be afraid to touch her and, and want to interact with her? What what kind of helped you get to that point? Partially the way that Kyle was, he he was always really, I don't know, it, it was like he didn't see her as a little tiny baby. Like, he did, but he didn't take care of her any different or think of her any different. He was just like, this is my kid. This is my baby. And, right. Um, so he was really good. And then he had to leave um, before I even got discharged from the hospital. So my mom stayed with me. And so when he left, our nurse Kathy was like, okay, come on. Like, you're going to do it. <laughs> And so the nurses are really good about, like, you're not going to break her. Just these are the ways you lift her up. This is how you do it. And so I didn't change her diaper for a long time, but I would do, like, the milk swabs and wipe her eyes and stuff. And then eventually I started changing her diaper and, and that sort of thing. But it was a lot of Kyle and then the nurses like, come on, you can do it. Yeah. You can do it. The nurses <laughs> like, are really, right. yeah, the nurses are really good at, okay, you're just going to do the swab today. Okay, now today you're going to do the swab and the eyes. And today you're going to do all of these and just slowly getting you more and more comfortable. They're amazing. All of them are amazing down there. She was flying high, doing fantastic for the first week or so that she was there. Like She was on, they were doing just the CPAP on the ventilator. And they're like, gosh, no, she's great. So I went home for two days to gather up my stuff. Because when your husband packs all of your stuff in 15 minutes, and you're going to have a C-section, like you don't have one pair of pants that actually works, you right. have nothing. <laughs> so went home and got all of that gathered up. And then we came right back down. And when we got back down, she would have been about nine days old. The poor doctor that was on wasn't like her regular doctor for that first week um he it was a Sunday so it was a switch yeah and he had to tell us that even though her first scan and her second scan were normal she ended up having bilateral grade three uh, brain bleeds and the way that he described it to us was like you know it puts her at super high risk for cerebral palsy it puts her like she may never walk and talk she may never do this and I mean it just took the wind out of our sails we thought we were in the clear because our first two scans were good right. and then I mean it was it was terrible and like okay so 
uh, he's like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to mean for her. So there you kind of there you have it. And so right. what did you think as he was? I mean, because that's the reality of being in the NICU, right? Is that sometimes mm-hmm. we do have to give that news where you think the head's scans are going to be clean and the third one comes back not clean or you get up to full feeds and you think you're golden on nutrition and then you have trouble with feeding or you develop problems with your intestines and then you have these this major setback right like there's all this turbulence mm-hmm. in the NICU so i'm interested as a neonatologist what did it feel like as you were hearing that information and how did you guys process through it? And then also for families that are hearing this or people that might be supporting other people that are in the NICU, what did that feel like? So other people know how to be supportive of families that are in similar situations to you. Yeah. No, it feels like you've been punched in the guts. Like it's horrible. It is horrible when you, I mean, like, yeah, you didn't have the perfect pregnancy. No, you're not having this baby and you're taking her home right away. But, you know, she still might be okay. Lots of babies come out of this. And then you get that on top of it and you're like, okay. <laughs> like, And nobody can tell you what that means. And you're not going to know what that means for years. So you're like, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. It just, it's terrible. It's... It's the not knowing what it could do or what it means for her, for her quality of life or for anything else. And I don't think there's really anything you can say. (laughs) Like, the only thing that helped me was hearing stories of babies who, oh, my baby had bilateral grade fours and here he is graduating high school. Here's my baby with these grade threes and all of this and all these other problems and here they are doing this like and that's not everybody's story and that's and it doesn't have to be but I feel like you have to kind of keep that hope right because you can't I mean I guess for me it's like you can't lose all sense of a potentially normal quote-unquote um child and a normal whatever how you like how you expected normal not normal, but... Yeah, but what you were anticipating, what you were imagining, because most people don't get pregnant and imagine that they're going to have a one-pound baby that's in the NICU for 80-something days. Because you, from the time you get pregnant until you deliver, you have this idea of what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. you do have to kind of reconcile that in your brain when that's not happening. Or when you get sucker punched, what it feels like a sucker punch with, hey, this new scan doesn't look so good. It's my job as the doctor to tell you exactly what's happening, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I have to tell you what's happening because you as a parent deserve to know. And I don't know what it means. And we don't know what it means because babies can have Mm -hmm. no bleed and have bad outcomes. And babies can have significant bleeds and have pretty good outcomes. And there's no way to tell on that front end. There's so many things that go into it. So it's my job to tell you what's happening. And it's your job as the parent to believe 100%. 100% this is going to be okay. We we are going to be okay. We'll get through this. That sense of hope. Yeah, Yeah, it's your job to believe that it's going to be okay. Right. And whenever there was bad news, as bad as it can possibly be, they tell you like up front, this is how bad it could be. Like we don't know for sure, but this is what it could be. From our experience, it was pretty good to like know what it could be, but then to still 
get some hope back somewhere because you can't in the NICU, you can't live with no hope. There's, you just can't. Yeah. If, if everything is just squashing you, squashing you, squashing you, it's, it's impossible. Right. It's totally impossible, but. You think (laughs) um, that was your worst NICU day? I think that was probably the worst day. Yeah. Cause then after that, like we knew the bleed was there and luckily like her bleeds never got worse. She did end up developing hydrocephalus, but which the is bleeding extra itself. fluid that builds up. Mm-hmm. But she didn't, the bleeds never got worse. So that was good. And then that going forward, you know, with the hydrocephalus, there's things they can do to help that. There's things they can do. But with the bleeds, I mean, there's nothing, nothing you can do for that. You just have to wait and see. Yeah, you're already so, doing everything that you can do. And Right. Yeah. So that, I would say that that was probably the worst day. <laughs> So from, far. from that point, when she got the bleeds, and then through the remainder of the hospital stay, were there any big surprises or setbacks that you guys weren't expecting? She actually, like, she had some little ups and downs here and there, but she really didn't have a super crazy NICU stay. Like, she right. had the bleeds. That was really her only big thing. She... She did go through one stage where she had to be on continuous feeds because I think it was when we got to 17 mils. <laughs> we were there one night and they gave it to her and she would just get so bloated and she didn't want to breathe when she got bloated. And so I remember talking to Dave and I'm like, it's it's the one mil you added. He's like, I don't know. I think it might I, be something else. So <laughs> I, he's like, I came back. A couple times in the middle of the night after we switched to continuous feeds, because I was worried it was something else. It wasn't something else. She just didn't like that one mill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so they put her on continuous feeds for a while. So it took her a while to get back to the bolus so that she could, you know, stretch out her stomach and do the eat the way that she needed to eat. And then she ended up getting the VAD, um, the ventricular access device for the hydrocephalus, um, right when she hit two pounds. Like almost exactly two pounds, I think. So she she went for a while with without needing. They were like, it. Oh, we don't know for sure if we're gonna need it or not. I was nervous about that, but her surgery went really well. The day after her surgery, they did her first eye exam. Like she came right off the vent after her VAD was put in. Like that same day, she came off the ventilator again, and then had to be put back on the next night because she just got so overwhelmed with the surgery and then the eye exam on top of it. She just couldn't do it. And so so once she kind of got over that, I think I think she was only intubated for like maybe a day and a half or two days. Then she did totally fine there. Um, first bottle she ever took, she sucked it right down, never had a problem feeding, which was really nice. Uh, and then we got to a point with the VAD where we waited nine days. We were like, oh, we might not need a shunt. We might not need a shunt. That would be so great. And then they did another ultrasound and that her ventricles and stuff were still huge. And so we decided at that point to just Go do, the shunt. do the shunt. Yep. She got her shunt on September 4th. And... We went home September 13th. She had kind of a setback after her shunt, too. Um, she didn't want to eat. I think she was just, she was in a lot of pain. 
it was, I think, the second day after. And so she choked really bad and wasn't doing so hot. And so I had a nice little mental breakdown with that because I was like, we're so close. <laughs> I just want to go home. What was it like she... when you got really, really close to discharge, right? Sometimes that's the hardest part of the stay because you're so close and you just want to go. It's yeah. not uncommon for moms to say, oh, I had this little mini breakdown because we're so close. What What was it like to to kind of manage your emotions through that very, very end part of the NICU stay? So I was more, I mean, I was just, I was ready to get out of Denver. <laughs> like Denver is great for the hospital care, but when you live in a tiny, tiny town, it's a whole different ball game. So we were ready to be home. So I, I think it wasn't so much that I wasn't prepared to take her home or anything, but when we had a setback, I was like, oh, I can't stay down here any longer. I can't do it. And so it, it wasn't, I don't know. I think the most emotional, the hardest, one of the harder things for me was her, like, leading up to her shunt surgery. Because that was pretty close to when we were going home anyway. But um, I had a friend who's who I met at the Ronald McDonald house. And, uh her baby ended up passing away after a surgery. And so then I was just scared to death of surgeries, which what happened with him doesn't typically happen. It's, it was a pretty strange, strange occurrence for that. But, um, so that was, that was the hardest part emotionally for me coming towards the end. Cause I was like, we're so close to coming home and she has to have this surgery and, it's brain surgery and it's horrifying and yeah and your friends happen yeah and, your friend just yeah. had something happen with their child um, yeah which how can you not think about that yeah 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 it was did did anything help you kind of manage those feelings and turn them off a little bit um, so that you weren't dwelling on them or did you just kind of really ruminate on them quite a bit I'm I'm a dweller. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty bad at that, but we prayed like crazy. I not everybody's religious and I mm-hmm. it doesn't work for everybody, but it worked for us and that's we had to put put hope in something bigger than we were because there was nothing we could control. Right. There was nothing we could do. And that's what we had and it was really the only thing that was helpful or comforting or anything else. Right. Well, and I think for some people, it it doesn't actually matter what it is that brings you that comfort. For religious people, it's that relationship Mm -hmm. that they have with their religion, whatever that religion is. And uh, prayer can be really grounding and very helpful. For other people, they're not religious. Mm -hmm. And then it's a sense of meditation or a parent group that they have or their family support yeah. or, or, you know, whatever it is. But most people find something that they can grab onto that provides them mm-hmm. that, that strength to put one foot in front of the other to get through those hard days. That's what we had. And I, I don't know, you look for all sorts of different things and look for reassurance and look for reassurance on the internet. And that's a horrible, horrible idea because you will find anything you want to find on the internet. That is true. We always say stay (laughs) off the internet. And if you do get on the internet, please come and talk to me afterwards because 
The internet yeah. has the worst of the worst. So everybody said everything will be fine and it's horrible or it has the best of the best. Everybody said it'll be horrible and look, it's just fine. Right? Like those are the two yes. ends that you find on the internet. And then everything... Most of the people are kind of somewhere in between. And that's part of what I'm hoping to do with this mm -hmm. Mighty Littles podcast and the book that we're writing is to kind of put out there, hey, it's usually not the best of the best or the worst of the worst. Most people fall somewhere in this mm -hmm. middle where there's good and bad and messy and clean, but there's hope and love all around it. Don't Google. Some of the preemie pages and things are helpful at times, but even then they're really not helpful because it's not somebody who knows, it's not somebody who is a medical professional or deals with it every day. They're just giving you their experience and that's all that they can give you. And sometimes it's reassuring. Sometimes it's really not. And so I guess if you're looking at those sorts of things, you just have to take it for what it's worth and it's somebody's experience and it's, it may not and probably will not be the same as yours. Yeah, so. it, it won't be the same as yours. And I, and I think, too, that yeah. when you're looking at other people's experiences, you can find similarities where you want to find similarities. And you mm -hmm. can convince yourself that you're different when you want to convince yourself that you're different. So I, yes. I think it's nice to know what all the possibilities are, but I don't think you can draw conclusions yes. about what is going to happen after you go home from the things that you find on the internet. The other thing that was helpful is um, the NICU has a Love for Lily, I think mm -hmm. is what it's called. Yep, Love for the Lily. The mom group that's started coming in. They started, I think, when I came, when yep. I was down there, they started coming in. It, it's nice because then you get to meet some of the other moms and they're going through it too. Um, I met a a really nice mom who has twin boys that were down there the same time I um, I was in her little boy got a shunt the week before Chandler got hers. So I could kind of talk to her about that and how her, his recovery was and those sorts of things. And, and that was helpful because she had the same neurosurgeon. She had the same, you know, doctors and all of that. And right. luckily both of our babies did very well with their shunt surgeries. So. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think nobody really understands the NICU unless you've been through it. We are our own mm -hmm. world. We have kind of our own language and the experiences are very, very different than outside of that NICU world. It's it's kind of like this yes. total separate world. And when you've been through it and you know about it, it, it's very familiar and it doesn't seem so scary. But when you don't mm -hmm. know anything about it, it's really very foreign and it's very scary. And I think finding those people that you can connect with who are going through it can be really, really important to kind of give you a little bit of perspective as you go through the NICU. I mean, I had moms reaching out to me because um, we have, you know, a pretty small community in all of Wyoming. But I had moms who were like, oh, hey, my baby was born at 25 weeks. My baby was 28 weeks, but same size as Chandler. And I just wanted to, you can talk to me anytime you need. And I think it's, it's, Pretty cool, actually, the network of preemie moms that are out there yeah. and that are willing to talk to you or listen to you or anything. I mean... Yeah, or just sit there while, while you talk. Tell me about the first week taking Chandler home. You really <laughs> wanted to get home. So what was it like going home yeah. knowing that you were going to be that far away? So it was a little, like, we were a little bit nervous about it. But um, the, I think the thing we were most nervous about is her shunt because like we're six and a half hours away if she has a shunt failure 
we gotta like go right now but um we weren't just you know kicked out and dropped off in the middle of nowhere with no resources or anything um our doctor works at the same clinic that i work at and so we saw him we got discharged on a friday and we saw him on monday um and in between that we got calls from a couple of the NICU doctors for like the first week right after coming home they called and just checked in see how things were doing so it it wasn't it wasn't really too bad. I was, we were nervous about the shunt and if something was to happen there, what we would need to do. But otherwise she was, she was in a really good place. She was doing really well. We did buy like the owlet sock because I yep. still not used to not staring at a monitor. Yep. I'm going to um, do a whole podcast episode about owlets and um, yeah, because it's probably one of the single, single biggest questions that I get from NICU moms is, okay, we've had this monitor for 90 days. And what about this outlet? Should I get it? Should I not get it? What's it like? So I'm going to do a whole podcast on them, you know, upcoming, um, just to answer that question, because I think it does give parents peace of mind. And at the same time, it's not a hospital grade monitor. Yeah, it gave us some peace of mind. But the thing was, when we brought it home, they don't have a preemie size one. And so it didn't work for the first like, month that we had her home, it didn't fit. Looking back on your NICU stay, what do you think was your single biggest fear when you got transferred down to Denver to begin with? When we got transferred to Denver to begin with, I was worried about having her too too early and too little. Yeah. And we did just that. And actually, I forgot to mention when, when she was born... Um, Dr. Perico said that her cord was actually starting to pinch off. So for me, everything that happened to Chandler, the bleeds, the shunt, all of that, this was the only option she had. So yeah, it's not ideal. It's not what we wanted or what we expected. But if she had stayed in and we hadn't gotten the monitoring, if we hadn't had any of those things, she wouldn't be here. Uh, And then the other fear is just, I mean, you never want to even think it or say it, but coming home without her. Right. Like, that's what scared me so bad with the show. And I'm like, we've come so far and I've spent so much time and, you know, I know her and I love her and I, all of yes. these things. And she could be gone in a second. But I, my mom was really good at being like, yeah, but that can happen to anyone. That can happen to you. Here I am. I've, I've known you 25 years. I've loved you 25 years and you could be gone in an instant. She's like, that's parenting in general. That's life in general. You're she's like you. She's here now. She's doing well. You know, you, you you could you could come home without her, but she could also be eighty and totally you know, like grow to be a hundred years old. Who who knows? You don't know, right? And nobody knows. Yeah, it, it, that's just parenting. It it, it totally so that is was parenting. Helpful. I think. That's that kind of the unspoken fear in the NICU that nobody wants to talk about that that is universal. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I think everybody has that fear in the NICU, whether your baby is a tiny baby or a medium sized baby or a big term baby that has something wrong with one of its organs. Right. Like that's that is the mm-hmm. unspoken fear that that people just don't want to talk about. And I think your mom's advice that that's part of parenting. You have this baby and you love this baby immediately. And 
that could happen at any moment in time to anybody is is kind of really important to think about as you're going through the NICU because Mm -hmm. if you dwell on that possibility that's all you're gonna see and you're gonna miss out on all these other amazing days that do happen. I think the reason that it's so hard in the NICU is when you're like my mom when we're out and about and doing whatever it's not right in your face that oh she could die at any minute right it's you're not watching her oxygen go from 100 to 20 in 30 seconds you know it's it's not right there in your face so it's easy to not think about it or not you know worry like you still worry all the ways but it's not right in your face Right. Like it is in the NICU. So I think in the NICU, it seems so much worse because it's right in your face all the time. Yeah, I can see but, that. Yeah. So yeah. thinking about parenting, when you got pregnant and you knew you were going to be having a baby girl, um, I think people think about what kind of parent they want to be. Do you think that your NICU course and what happened through the NICU changed the type of parent that you are? Or or do you think you're about the same as you otherwise would have been if you hadn't ended up in the NICU? Um, I guess I didn't really have any, I really didn't have any expectations as to what kind of parent I would be or really even like how my pregnancy would go. I didn't have any, I didn't have any expectations. I never wrote out a birth plan. I never, nothing there. I think the NICU probably made me a little bit more um, neurotic and a little bit more, um, I don't know, anxious for sure. Um, Because you didn't just, you know, have this baby, just come home, no problems, life's good. Like having a baby in general is stressful. I can't downplay that. But when you're used to watching the monitor and like, okay, well, is she breathing too fast? Is she breathing too slow? Is Is she crying too much? Is she... And and I think part of that comes from in the NICU, like, if they do one thing different, they're like, okay, we're getting, uh, yeah, we're jumping all over it, we're getting labs, we're doing this, because she looked at us funny. And so then you get home, and you're like, she looked at me funny, where's all the stuff? Where, where are my labs? Where are my x-rays? What's wrong with her? And there's, there's nothing wrong. She's fine. But you're like, I don't know. I don't trust you. (laughs) (laughs) How long do you think it took you to settle out once you got home to not be quite so anxious? Or are you still working on that? I'm still working on it. Still working on it? It's not not as bad. For me personally, I I had to um, like see a doctor about anxiety and that sort of thing because I was over the top. Um, Everything uh, that... I mean, she, anything that happened, I was like, her son's failing. I know it. It's failing and she's going to get surgery and she's going to die. That's, that's what it is. And I'm not that way now, but it, it took a while. It took it, a while. I don't, and I don't her know shunt never failed. when it finally, not yet. Nope. It's, it's going strong. <laughs> so right. it's been good like so far, but it's the not knowing Cause you're like, it could, it could go at any time. It could be fine today, not tomorrow. And I think that's been the biggest stressor for me, but 
know, the more time you spend and the more that they start doing things and getting exciting and you can like do things with them more. Like I can get her out and take her for a walk or go for a run with her or things like that um, where you're not just sitting there. Like we came home when it started right into cold and flu season. So for a couple months, I was just sitting in the house, just staring at her right all day. And that doesn't help anybody. And so if you can get out and go for a walk or something just to give your mind a break for a minute, I think that that made the biggest difference. So it gets, it gets better for the further out you get. I think you always kind of have that little bit of, eh, I don't know, a little bit of stress, but it, it definitely gets better the further out that you are from your NICU stay. Yeah. So. Well, and you're still yeah. kind of right in the thick of it as a out of mm-hmm. the NICU for less than a year. Um, uh, so you're still yeah. right in the thick of it. So if you yeah. could go back in time and you now tell, your some, tell yourself something when you were starting the whole NICU journey, what do you think you would tell yourself? Give yourself some slack. Because it's probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And I really struggled with ever wanting to leave because I was like, well, if I leave, I I might miss the minute. And if something happens, I won't ever forgive myself. But sometimes you have to get out and just take a break because it'll swallow you whole. (laughs) And so everybody says, take some time for yourself. The nurses take some time for yourself. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Okay. But you really do. Right. Kyle was really good about being like, okay, we're going to go to Top Golf today. We're going to get out of here for the day. We're going to go get ice cream. We're going to go do something just to get out. Right. Um, and I think, I think that's, everybody says it's important and all your nurses will tell you it's important and you will ignore them. Yeah. Because but if you, if you can, <laughs> then do it because yeah. it, you, you need a you need a minute every once in a while to just be you and not be just tense and stressed the entire time. Right. And I think sometimes so. sometimes the better thing to do is to be there. You know, if you're mm-hmm. super anxious yes. and it's those first couple weeks and you know, things are still kind of up and down and you're not on a smooth smooth sailing, right? Right. Um and so right. it is best to to just be there so that you can start to feel comfortable with the unit and comfortable with the staff. Mm-hmm. And then as, as your baby gets a little bit bigger and you start to have some more comfort and trust in the staff in your NICU, I think getting out means different things to different people. Yes. You can go to top golf. You could go out to dinner if you're a foodie who likes to explore new restaurants, mm-hmm. but you can also just walk to the coffee shop and get a cup of coffee and go outside to walk back around to the unit, that is also a break. That is a mental break. And you're not gone for three hours or six hours. You're gone for 20 minutes. Um, And Mm -hmm. even that short 20 minute amount of time can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely didn't spend a lot of time away when she was really little or first starting out. But as she got older and we had our primary nurses, if, if our primary nurses were on, we would feel comfortable to take a little bit of a break and as we went further along we knew most everybody so it was easier to just take a minute and get out for a minute what else do you want to say to um moms that are in the NICU or or people that are supporting moms that are in the NICU as we kind of wrap up our hour here 
just hang in there. It's it's a roller coaster and a lot of it's not fun, but you'll get through it and it'll it'll be good. I mean, it'll be it'll be a whole different experience than you ever thought you would have, but it'll be something that you know, makes you a better person and a stronger person and your kid a stronger person. We had some, we had a friend send us like a bunch of videos and stuff of NICU babies who didn't make it and just don't ever do that to a NICU parent like, ever. So I think it's good to hear some say, wait, say positivity. Say what? Somebody literally yeah. while you were in the NICU sent you videos mm-hmm. of babies that didn't make it through the NICU? Yes. It was not intentional and it wasn't something that that person was meaning maliciously or no. anything. It was more like she was like, oh, well, I meant it like, you know, at least Chandler doesn't have this going on. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> don't send that. Just don't ever do that <laughs> to anybody in the NICU. <laughs> what was the best thing that somebody did for you while you were in the NICU? Our community was really great. We we had a lot of support. You know, I didn't work the whole time that I was in Denver. Um, Kyle was back and forth a lot. Um, so we had a lot of support, not only financially, but just people like, Hey, can I come clean your house and get your house ready? Can I, you know, my in-laws took care of our dogs the whole time we were gone. Um, just things like that. And people stopped by when they were in Denver, come down, take you to dinner or, bring you food or something like that. Just all of the support that we had was really great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't, I don't know that everybody has um, quite that much support. Some people have a lot of support and other people don't, but gosh, just taking you out to dinner or bringing you a meal and watching your dogs. I mean, that's a huge weight off your shoulders. Just. (laughs) Yes. To not have to worry about it. My dogs are awful. So (laughs) it was nice. (laughs) Were your in-laws very happy to give them back to you? They were. They were. (laughs) I would have been too. I would have been too. (laughs) So. Yeah. Well, shout out to the in-laws. We had a lot of support. Oh, that's awesome. We had a lot of really great help and a lot of people who came and visited. I had my mom stayed with me whenever Kyle was gone and my sister-in-law came and stayed with me so that I didn't have to be by myself. That was when it was the hardest was by myself. Well, I'm thrilled that you uh, came on the podcast and that you're willing to share your story with everybody. I think that takes so much courage and that I got to hear about how she's doing a little bit and get to see you on FaceTime right now. And I really appreciate you you sharing everything. I'm glad that you asked us too. We, We had a really good experience. Good to share. And I think it's good for people to hear some positive outcomes. Keep saying it, Walt. No. Podcast.